Welcome to part three of Health System CIO's Health IT Influencer Spotlight with Craig Richardville, former CIO at Carolinas Healthcare. In this segment, we talk about the enormous opportunity health systems are missing when it comes to consumer engagement, why he believes IT steering committees should be eliminated, and how voice technology can help ease the burden for clinicians. It still baffles me if you call the larger practices or the larger healthcare systems on a Monday morning, you're going to get that message, right? Mondays, you call us at peak times. Please feel free to uh, call us back at a lesser time. Well, as a consumer, that makes zero sense to me. If yeah. you know you got a peak time, either staff for it or automate for it, do something because if that's where the, the peaks come, don't treat all the hours the same because they're not the same. And I think as we start to provide services more 724 and advertise those services, you'll see that demand of those quote unquote Monday mornings uh, shift because now I can take care of that on a Sunday or maybe on a Saturday or I could have done it at two in the morning. I don't have to do it between eight and five when your hours are open. So I think you'll see a gradual shift of that becoming less and less but it still bothers me that we that we know it's been that way. It's been that way for 20 years, and we still think it's okay to communicate that Monday mornings are busy. Please call back at a less frequent time. No, manage the calls on Monday morning with a higher uh, ratio of, of resources to be able to handle those calls. Because as a consumer, I don't want to sit there and wait. I don't want to call back. All you're doing is increasing the number of calls coming into that call center, which is backing up more calls who are the first-time callers. So it's crazy how we sometimes don't really solve the problem. We just think it's okay to apologize and you know just put the monkey back on the back of the patient or the consumer. Well, now I have choices. I don't have to really, I mean, you know, with high deductible plans and with things becoming less directed and me becoming more directed as to how I can self-direct self, I have choices. I can do a virtual call with one of the online systems, you know, with the GetWell network or some other type of uh, teledoc or somebody else. I can initiate those calls myself. I can go into a minute clinic. I can go wherever I want because I'm pulling those first dollars out of my pocket anyway. So why would I pay $150 to go visit a physical physician when I can do it for $49 on a virtual care? You know, one of the things that drove me nuts was in this past year, looking to try to ramp up and get telehealth services up. And so we did a lot of things to get things going. And the first thing that happens is you get a postcard in the mail advertising the new urgent care clinic. And it's just like for common colds and flus and come to this new grand opening of this urgent care clinic. And it's like, wait a minute, we're just promoting a less costly, more efficient, equally effective method by going the telehealth route, yet you were advertising to come into the physical clinic because it generates more revenue and it helps pay for the clinic. Well, the reality is that's not what the right thing is for the patient. So we got to find that right balance and let the patient make those choices and quit trying to coerce them, you know, with the way that we market or advertise to go down certain avenues that are more financially astute for the system. Let's do what's financially astute for the patient or the consumer. That's a really great point. You talked about the competition, and that's something that can be a driver um, when you're talking about, you know, value propositions, because sometimes when you're talking about digital strategies, sometimes it's hard to, or can be hard to justify the cost up front, but that seems to be a big motivation, being able to retain and, and attract patients. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on with that. Everything that I've always done or proposed or brought to the senior team, and I've been blessed to work with some extremely smart people, have always had business cases and business decisions behind them. So I got rid of my IT steering committee years ago 
because there's no reason why I should have a select use of funds to use for IT investments. I should be able to compete with the urgent care clinics, with buying a practice, you know, with whatever the different capital investments, building, renovating a hospital, whatever those things are, we should all be looking at a straight across the portfolio that we have one source of funds and we're going to make the right business decisions for the company and for our patients and not say, hey, we're going to spend X amount on IT and X amount on this and X amount on that. And then by removing that committee, it was like, if we want to compete for funding, uh, then we need to be present and be part of and to show our business cases why we think it's the right thing to invest in a certain thing of digital technology. And in most cases, what happens is you actually investments in the capital share that you receive goes up because you do have a lot of great cases. And when you execute properly, you can get those returns. You can accelerate those returns and actually even have a better business case do your, um, your interview at the end. So from that standpoint, I've always felt it was important not to have a select fund for you, but that you actually competed. And if there was better for the company and for the community to build an urgent care center for whatever reason, then that's the route that we should be taking. If it's better to invest more in telehealth services, that's the route we should be taking. If it's a blend between those two and others, that's the route we should be taking. I've always kind of positioned ourselves to be like three to five years ahead of what I would say was the adoption curve. Right. So we did Alexa a couple of years ago, allowing people to have access to our resources via the voice. Big fan of the conversion of the voice. So everybody kind of moved away from the mouse and the point and click to the phone. And now you've got phone and swipe and people are using their phone for everything. But you've got to have your phone with you as well. And now it's to the voice. I mean, why shouldn't you be able to use your voice to interact with the system? And I know some companies are doing that now to possibly ease the burden of the physicians interacting with the computer, like in a physician practice, mm-hmm. an exam room, where they can use the voice to interact, to show me the, you know, the final lab results or the CBCs or to chart this or pull a certain record up. Instead of hunting around and pointing and clicking around and ignoring the patient, the computer can interpret my voice and very accurately start to pull that information up so that I have it available to me, no different than what Alexa is doing in the consumer space. And what you see now from the safety in the car space has been there for years, that in some systems, if you want to use the navigation while you're moving, you have to use your voice to interact with the car. You can't go ahead and be distracted by keying in addresses or picking points of interest out. You have to use your voice to do it that way. Right. Well, there's no reason why we shouldn't be using our voice more often. And then obviously the next step is being more predictive with that, understanding my habits and my behaviors and be able to bring that back up. So if every Friday night I've always kind of looked at my certain types of values that every Friday night it just lets me know that, you know, hey, it's Friday and you need to do this because that's what you have uh, have done for the last 10 weeks in a row. So those types of things can also be learned by the system and be able to prompt and be proactive with you. I'm a big fan of the proper use of technology, but also I don't like divisions of sectors. I'm very big on inclusion. You know, we're all equal, bring everybody in together. And one of the diversity aspects is financial. So Apple came out with their health kit. You had a couple of prominent organizations announcing their interaction with the Apple health kit several years ago. And we were ready with that too. And it was like, no, the people that we really need to interact with are those that might use an Android uh, or an alternative uh, operating system, not necessarily Apple. 
most cases, you know, they're more of the white collar, very responsible people. Well, they're the ones that are taking their medications and they're the ones that are showing up for the appointments and they're the ones that are following the physician plans. The ones that I want to make sure we connect with are those that are buying the monthly phone. They're going to Walmart or the Targets or have the lower end phones. That's what I need to interact with. So within 30 days, I have a great talented team uh, led by uh, one of my VPs, Pam Landis, and they developed the Android aspect of it. So when we went to market, we were the first in the country to go on the market with both Apple and Android ability to have patient-generated information be consumed within the uh, EMR. And from that standpoint, that was a great asset for us because that's the population that we were targeting. We didn't want to do it for the press. We wanted to do it because it would have better results with our patients by being able to connect with those that don't have maybe that ability or the sense of responsibility that others might already have that you know, typically might carry the Apple phone, for example. Right. Really interesting. And it seems like it's kind of been an overarching philosophy for you to uh, really avoid death by committee and having too many layers in place and, and that that can really impede you know, progress. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all comes to me, and it comes down to being very open, very transparent. So I didn't have, like, my own committee that I could redirect funds. I, I competed, you know, with everybody else who had other objectives and maybe all very great ideas. It's just which are the ones that the company wants to compete in and, and invest their resources towards. And in many cases, I was fortunate to have, you know, leaders like Tarwater with Carolina's Healthcare System who was very forward-thinking and looked ahead and wanted to make sure that we were well-positioned for what the upcoming market uh, would look like. And I think there's other leaders out there that look at it that way. And in some cases, depending on your market and your position, you, you may not have that ability. We were fortunate that uh, we had our best years year after year after year when I was there. And, you know, teammate engagement, you know, very high. My teammate engagement scores within my divisions were um, in the 95 to 99th tile in the country. Some years we were right in the top 1% of the country of people being totally engaged. And in my worst years, we were in the top 5%. It goes all back to, you know, not only my leadership team and the engagement, but really being a servant leader and being able to tie the business objectives to the work that we're doing. And when I was able to say, hey, the company is going to now invest into this for us, they understood why. And they knew, you know, what maybe we weren't investing in that typically a healthcare system might invest in. So it's all finding the right balance at the right time. But to me, it's all about the people making and executing the plans that we put together. And in many cases, if you got the right talent, you hired the right team, you got the right leadership, those people will want to exceed and to move beyond the actual plan and the goal that you set for them. And again, for me, you know, once we knew we we're going to do something, I needed to get it done because I needed to clear the plate because I knew there was more things that were going to be coming that, that I'm not part of or weren't aware of either in the industry or in the technology or in our communities. And I need to have that capacity created. So once we knew we needed to do something, it was to everybody's advantage to get it done quickly and also properly so we wouldn't have to redo any of the work and to move forward what the next potential opportunity would come our way. So the last thing I want to ask you, kind of a, a big question, but when you think about where the industry is going, tapping into what you said about trying to look down the road, what intrigues you most about where this industry is headed? I think uh, what intrigues me most is really how the patient slash consumer, and sometimes those words I use interchangeable, and I certainly understand the, the difference between the two, but in this case, how the work will actually be self-directed, self-managed, 
uh, that people will have the assets, they'll have the information to make good decisions on what's important to them. It's a huge expense for many of us, and it's one of the expenses that, in many cases, we don't really have a lot of transparency into what it's going to cost me, what can I exact the end, is this going to be a continuous cost for me, etc. And we keep all that hidden. It's, it's such a large investment, yet we never really know going into a practice or going into a hospital. Now, I think you can get maybe like approximate charges. Well, who would buy a car that's going to be approximately $30,000 for this car? Right. No, <laughs> it's 30 or it's 33 or it's 25. Uh, and what's my maintenance plan? I mean, and everything going into it or picking a hotel room or whatever those are, we make a huge investment as, out of our pockets as people into healthcare. yet we don't really know how much it's going to cost. We don't really know the outcomes. And I think that's shifting. Everybody gets it. I mean, it's all so self-directed in the past and the way the incentives were set up, everybody understands it. And I think the exciting part for me is how the technology is going to enable that to occur, how people are going to have real-time access to information, more predictable results, greater relationships with providers, probably more frequent but more meaningful, less waiting time, more effective use of time. I just think the upside to what we've created over the last X amount of decades is really going to be, I think, very exciting. And so what the future is going to look like is hard to predict but pretty uh, amazing what it could be. And I think uh, as we get our incentives aligned properly, get people focused upon the right outcomes at the end for the patient, uh, let the, give the tools and, and give up control and give the control back to the patients and the consumers to make well-informed decisions that are important to them. Because given the exact same criteria, what you say and what you decide to do or how to do something might be totally different than me. But yet there's a lot of things that are the same with it. So it's got to be very personalized. It's got to be, you know, very fitting. One size doesn't fit all. And I think, you know, when we look at the delivery of the medicine aspects that are happening out there, a lot of the research that's going on, the sector of the consumerism aspect of it, putting control back in the hands of patients and people, I think the future in the next 10 years is going to be quite exciting. And I do hope that as the uh, this next decade unfolds and, uh, and comes to an end, that you're starting to see a very dramatic difference in healthcare financing and healthcare delivery with better health uh, for all. And I think we can do it. I think as an industry, we can do it. I think as the industries mesh together uh, and we start learning from each other, we can do it. I think you're starting to see it uh, becoming more and more real. And as most of more of these other non-traditional companies become play, it's not a competitive game for me. This is something that we're doing for the right reasons and for uh, the right people. And from that standpoint, you know, I think this is a way to be very um, collaborative in the discussions. Uh, how do you work with the CVS and the Aetna's or how do you work with an Amazon or how do you work with Apple and these other people, you know, the, the new company with Berkshire? How do you work with all these to be part of that ecosystem and not preserve what you built historically? Because what you built historically is not going to be what people are going to want in the future. And the more that you fight it, I think the less you'll become of being, you know, a significant player. I think you've got to embrace it. You've got to engage. You want to be part of it. So remove some of the historical protections of the past. Let's open it up and let's make this thing that, you know, the best healthcare delivery and finance system, you know, in the world. Well said. There's so many interesting aspects of healthcare right now and healthcare IT, and it's really fascinating to kind of watch this unfold. So 
I could definitely talk to you for longer, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you go for now. But um, thank you so much for taking the time to provide your insight. It's been really interesting for me. Oh, great. And I really appreciate the opportunity, Kay, to do great work. And, uh, and I, hope it, uh, I hope it helps and uh, appreciate your time and, again, for the opportunity. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.